everyone and welcome to episode 125 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanne Lincook and I am joined today by a very special and important guest. I'm very excited to be sat down with her today. We have sat down once before, mm. not on this podcast, um, but on another one on the Queen Mary University of London Alumni podcast. And here we are again today. So welcome Amabadu to the you. podcast. <laughs> no worries. So um, me and Amma, we go way back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're not going to say how many years because time is just an illusion I'm really excited to have Emma on here today partly because we've had conversations like this for a long time mm-hmm. in person on the podcast we did for Queen Mary mm-hmm. um, and just generally um, I just feel like watching her work and the things that she's done and achieved over the years that I've kind of known her and been kind of seeing the things she's been about has been really incredible um and really inspiring as well um so just for some oh no worries um for some insight Amma uh, studied English um, at Queen Mary and graduated in 2018 and is assistant editor at Faber and Faber um and is also the fab website editor at Faber Children's and the voice of Shudu who is the world's first virtual model and we're going to talk about all of those things all the things English children's publishing um virtual models uh, and you know website editing if we get there so welcome Emma hi <laughs> it's good to have you today very excited to be here <laughs> thank you so I thought we'd start with some quick five questions as we do on the podcast so you can get to know Emma um find out a little bit about what she's about and what she's interested in um so I'll start with it's going to be quite a bookish episode today Absolutely. um I think that makes sense so what are you currently if you are currently reading something what are you currently reading Okay, so I'm kind of in between books at the moment. I have just finished reading Clean by Juno Dawson, um, which is, it was really an interesting look at um, sobriety, class, like it was just a very interesting conversation, um, but it's nice. something I'm editing at the moment, so it was really lovely to have that. Um, and I have just started listening to Britney Spears autobiography and I don't often do autobiographies um but there's like so much hype and press around it it's broken loads of records already within the first like couple of weeks um and something that I'm really taken by is just how generous and compassionate she is even to people that mm-hmm. the world would not blame yeah just read them fulfilled absolutely um, and I actually, with things like that, I prefer to listen to it, even though she's not narrating it. Yeah. Or something about hearing it than sort of just reading it. I kind of read and listen at the same time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, I've heard clips go around, the viral clips have been going around on TikTok and Twitter. And yeah. I'm intrigued. I'm like, I'm not really a big autobiography person. Mm. But if I am going to listen to one, if I'm sorry, going to take one in, it will be listening. Yeah, um, yeah. I do like when they narrate them, but I can yeah. understand why Britney isn't doing that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Is it Jennifer? Somebody that it is. It is Michelle Williams. Michelle, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah so I've heard clips of it and I feel like there's one bit though that I think they needed maybe Britney to come in where she talks about um when Justin Timberlake bumps into oh is it oh was it genuine or someone yeah yeah the rapper yeah, and he yeah, goes yeah. into that yeah. black and yeah yeah, yeah. Well, this is it I kept hearing those clips as well yeah. that's why I want to read it um yeah it's it's yeah. it's 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 interesting but also it, I think because like like we've grown up with her so like hearing her talk about stuff that we would have sort of seen in real time and just seeing how much the world has progressed and changed and how different yeah. the conversations are now absolutely quite powerful too definitely um, yeah 
yeah, it just has my mind of tinkering. Yeah, I can imagine. Because she, yeah, she is a, like the icon of our childhood. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, growing up in the like 90s, early 2000s, she is that person. But, and as kids, there's so much we wouldn't have been exposed to or exactly. even known about. So, yeah, yeah I think, exactly. oh, I think I might add that to my Christmas list then. Do you? Yes, 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 for yes. Sure, for sure. Brilliant. <laughs> right. Now, what is your, and this is a hard question and I know it'd be difficult for you, but what is your favourite book? And you can give a reason as to why it's your favourite because you can have different kind of favourites. Yeah, well. yeah. Okay. I will say that one of my favourite books is The Colour Purple um, by Alice Walker. And the reason I will say that is because Excellent. there was like a very, I read it when I was in maybe eight or nine. And I remember reading it and feeling very seen. Um, and actually, you know, like sometimes I look back and I've recently sort of come out and sort of like identify as queer and stuff. But at the time, yeah. I didn't know that. And I remember reading this and thinking, oh, my gosh, I would love to have a relationship like Seely and um, Shug Avery and not thinking anything of it. Just thinking like yeah. didn't connect the dots as to my own mm-hmm. identity. Yeah. Um, but there was just something about it. And there's a, there's a line in there that talks about trees this is very this is this is so specific but there's a line in there that talks about trees and I'm really big on nature but there was something yeah. about she compared herself at one earlier in the book about um something about being wood and there's a later yeah. point where she's sort of coming into herself and she talks about becoming a tree and I just thought the sort of connections between those points were just so mm-hmm. pointing at the time and yeah. now it even it resonates even more so Absolutely. um I reread it a couple of we read it a couple of years ago and yeah it was interesting because I was looking at my old like the original book that I first yeah. read and I had un- annotated and underlined everything from year eight true English so, yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> I actually remember it was one of the first books I properly annotated and I felt like mm. a rebel because I was like oh my gosh I'm using pen and not pencil <laughs> writing in a book <laughs> writing a book um but yes it reading it again a couple of years ago with the same book with the same notes it was really interesting to see what I picked up then and what I pulled out now it's um yeah it's very dear to my heart that book I can imagine and it is an interesting point as well about rereading things and kind of putting yourself back in the mindset that you were in when you first read it or at the point you know when you read it and it meant something so Wow, yeah. And, mm. I think it's like every time you read a book, it's the version of you that's reading it. Absolutely. It's a very different person approaching this book, even if you've read it before. And it's just, it's quite an interesting exercise. And I don't yeah. get to do that often outside of a work capacity, like of to course. reread stuff. So being yeah. able to do that, it just really felt beautiful. It felt like a real mm. moment. Yeah, definitely. I've I've read, well, I've just finished Open Water by mm. Caleb Nelson, and I feel like I'm going to reread that at various points in my life. Like I can see me carrying this copy until I'm old and passing yeah. it on to a child or yes. a grandchild or niece or something because, like, I don't know. I feel like that book moved me in a way I wasn't expecting, okay. and the feelings that it drew out of me, I need to keep reconnecting with that book. Yeah. I feel like there's oh there's just so much in it. I'm I probably will read it again before the end of the year. I, I can't believe someone can write so beautifully. Oh, okay, so well, how dare he? Very <laughs> day. Who told you? On my shelf, and I keep yes. wanting to read, and I'm like, I'm just waiting for the right time. I'm waiting for the right time. But yeah, you inspired me. So by the end of the year, I want someone to read read it. Literally, I was on a train and I had it in my bag. Yeah. But I also had my iPad, which has all my like 
more history books on. Yeah. And I thought, you know what, this, the train was the slow train from Birmingham yeah. to London. It's like two and a half hours. I got 75% through that book in that two yeah. and a half hours. Yeah. And I finished wow. it when I got home. And yeah, it is okay. that it is that book. Okay, okay, okay. I'm inspired, I'm inspired. Definitely. <laughs> right, we're going to move away slightly <laughs> from the novels. Yeah. Um, we are on a history podcast. Um, do you have, and if you do, what is your favourite historical time period? Oh, and it doesn't have to be one of like you would have to live there, like yeah, yeah, that yeah, really restricts yeah. us as black people. No, no, no. I thought this was a really interesting question. I've been thinking about this a lot. There are there are a couple of things that stand out to me, and I was like, oh, do I want to say this? Or do I not? So I'll start off by saying anything that is pre-colonial, okay, distance pre-colonial really interests me. But then yeah. to kind of counteract what I've just said, there's something about. Ghana specifically, just yep. after independence, that I okay. really am interested in. Yeah. Um, and it's not just Ghana, actually. When you look back, I remember writing an article about this years ago, but when you look at a lot of the imagery from sort of Western Africa, across Africa, around the time of independence, there's this energy that you get from mm-hmm. those photographs. There's an energy that you get from how people talk about it. And there's this point of, you're at the precipice of this newness, this this discovery, yep. this, this liberation, this... Look, it just seems like such a delicious moment. And obviously mm. with hindsight now, we know so much has happened since. Just being at that moment of promise and hope. Yeah. Hearing Nkrumah talk about like Pan-Africanism and sort of really uniting the con- continent. Like, yeah, I can't imagine what it must have been like to have been mm. in that time um, with all this sort of hope before you. Wow. Um so I've been thinking a lot about that. I'm I'm at the moment researching to hopefully write. Um, nice. And it's looking at sort of that, that time period, as well as around the queue and now. And I just think there's such interesting points of parallel in each sort of, each of those three situations. But there's something about the promise of a greater future, I think. And, and, and any moment in history that marks that time, I think is yeah. just... That feeling of hope. Yes, yes. Yeah, there's, yes. A, there's a lot of power and strength in that. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Oh, I, I absolutely. Like yeah. <laughs> and then maybe this links, but do you have a favorite historical figure? Maybe it links to that time. Someone I think else? it doesn't actually, but someone okay. I think often is Ya Asantiwa, who yeah. is Ghanaian. She's a Shanti. She was the Ashantihini. Uh Ashantihima. Mm-hmm. And um she led soldiers to battle um against the British, who were obviously colonizing at the time. And I don't know enough about her. I don't know as much about her as I would like to know. But there is such a fierceness in things that I do know about her and things I've heard about her. And I think about how Ghanaian society is set up and all of these things and, you know, patriarchy and matriarchy and all these sort of elements to it. And just thinking about this woman, he was just like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're not taking this. Absolutely not. And fighting hard for it yeah. I just yeah that really really does interest me um absolutely we love a powerful woman over here yes absolutely Definitely. absolutely mm. yeah. um do you have a historical figure that you think more people need to know about should know about and don't mm-hmm. which I mean in Britain there's pretty much anyone in black British history because people yeah. don't know well, all of the well um <laughs> kind of linked to what I was saying earlier is in Krumah I think I think a lot of his thoughts, ideas were interesting, but I think also the time in which he came to power and came to influence 
and the other people he influenced in his sort of period um is someone that I just think we need to know more about especially from a diasporic perspective um hmm and I also think sorry this is not connected to this but it is connected to diaspora my mind's going like thinking of these things what I find quite interesting is the ways in which um through time and history culture has traveled and how again just storytelling um I think about something like the Anansi story for example which originated in Ghana and has just traveled across I think about gods I think about religious forms I think about food I think about language I think about how enduring all those things are Mm. um I think I'm forever looking at the past and seeing how it's reflected now in the present and what's to come in the future and there's just such a beautiful sense of synergy with all those things also the fact that so much so much is the same and so much is different at the same time I think a lot about you know Nkrumah's like rhetoric and stuff and it's still very relevant to today yeah the things that we carry with us and yeah I've just I think our world is changing so much Mm. but actually there's still so many things that we hold on to even we don't realize we hold on to it um and how powerful that is because I think it's very easy to feel lost, but we yeah. have sort of a whole history and heritage behind us. We have like ancestors behind us, sort of cheerleading us on, but also showing us a way. Mm-hmm. There's such power in that. Yeah, in yeah, a past and, and a future. Yeah, in a sense, absolutely, absolutely, definitely. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, do you think? Do you have um, a historical event that you think everyone or more people should know about? oh my gosh (laughs) I think we're talking specifically about black British culture I think there is um (laughs) this isn't a specific event it's a time period I think there's a lot of okay so at uni we I did a course I think you did as well black British writing yes yes and the black didn't mean just black as we take it today it was it very much black and asian and i think there's this real misconception that uh, people from the commonwealth all kind of came at the same time and we all kind of came with the same background and there's very mm. much not the case i remember very early on having a conversation with my dad he was like there's such a big difference between the Caribbean people who came across and the African people who came across and yeah. there's such an interesting relationship that we have within the Black British diaspora, even now, mm-hmm. that has stemmed from a lot of that. The, the passage to here is not one and the same. And no. I think there needs to be a much closer analysis of the differences um, mm-hmm. and what that means and what that entails. Just because we're all people of colour doesn't mean our experiences coming here were the same and it doesn't mean... It, it, there's just such nuance within that. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that we explore enough as British history, not just black yep. history, but British history. 100%. Um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Definitely. I think that's, it's a task that is one that, I'm not going to say it's necessarily easy, mm. because it's quite, it's easier mm-hmm. to very much lump everybody together mm-hmm. as inaccurate as that is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, so many nuances as well beyond just you know you might have come from Accra Ghana you came from Kingston Jamaica you came from Dubai there's also you know the class of people that came from each country what age you traveled 
Mm-hmm. Were you a baby? You know, mm-hmm. were you an elderly person? Were you married? Were you single? Were you employed, skilled? You know, there are so many nuances, and I think the discipline and that when I, I mean, like in the kind of academic setting, mm-hmm. I feel like that work is really being done. Um, I think the way you do history academically is very, very specific. You really can't make generalizations mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. They're just not not accepted. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I think the way that public history is shaped and framed, it's very bamey, as I like mm-hmm. to call it. Mm-hmm. All of you non-white people going yeah. to school and this yeah. is your story. You can either pick it up and go with it and pick yeah. up your diversity coins on the way, yeah. <laughs> or you can leave it. Um, and that's why you've got, you know people bringing in like Indian figures within Black yeah. History Month yeah. Britain, and African-American people finding themselves in the narrative. Yeah. And it's not to say we're trying to disclude, um, exclude sorry people. It's just the fact that actually there's more specificity, there's more mm-hmm. nuance, there's more complexity mm-hmm. in the narrative and it's, it is dangerous actually, mm. um, as your dad was saying, to be lumping even just Caribbean and African people together, yeah. let alone breaking down that continent yeah. and breaking yeah. down that region. Yeah. Um, it's lazy as well it's so lazy it's, it's and also so it's like lazy. we're restricting ourselves to a period of time we're restricting mm. ourselves to like a time of year where we can discuss these things what if we yep. integrated it in the curriculum that's already there what if we integrated oh. it just as it should be it just yeah yeah please you're on. <laughs> yep you're preaching to the choir on this yeah. podcast yeah. Yeah. um yeah it is it's completely true it's completely accurate and also we like just thinking more about that People that travel at different times, because if you if you came here, even in the interwar years, we never talk mm-hmm. about that. We don't talk mm-hmm. about pre World War One. Mm-hmm. In, in the nineteen twenties, you had so yes. many African students this that were exactly wealthy, this or have done exactly really well in school. Yeah, yep. same for the Caribbean. Yep. Loads of students come in on specific scholarships yep. um, that are set up, whether it's a Rhodes scholarship, mm-hmm. stuff in mm-hmm. Oxford and Cambridge. You know, mm-hmm. the, you know the story. Um, and that's a completely different class and time. Let alone then you yeah. think about people that have come as as recently as like twenty twenty. This is it. There's people arriving every day, and they're, they're, yeah. that's not their narrative. Yeah. That's not the history of their family. Yeah. Of anything it. they can even kind of attach themselves to. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, and what I find interesting as well then is that when I'm then having sort of real world conversations with my age mates, people older than me, especially mm. if they're English, yep. by English I mean white, it's it's the way they perceive the narrative is so far removed from what I know to be true. Yeah, And I don't always take the time in that moment to like, educate because it shouldn't be my responsibility to do, but it's just so interesting to hear the perception um, mm. from like outside in. Um, yeah, I'm now thinking just about what you've said there, like what it what it means to be, for example, from the Commonwealth and be Ghanaian or what it mm. means to be from the Commonwealth and from Zimbabwe, for example, yeah. is very different. So could you imagine those people coming across from different parts of just the continent itself, yep. the different understanding of what it means to be, it's, oh, it's just so many things that you can dig into. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny as well, because if you're in Africa, and I'm saying that as it's a continent, mm-hmm. you're in a specific country, a specific place. No, I don't believe, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. that someone that is Ghanaian, mm-hmm. outside of Ghana, they're, mm-hmm. ne- they're not, they're not going to say, I'm a- oh, I'm African. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. <laughs> you're going to say, um, tribe, area that you've yeah, come from, yeah, a village, yeah, a town, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're that. Absolutely. It's only when you actually leave your home that you then have to be yeah. 
Caribbean people, yep. all Caribbean people were Jamaican, according yep. to yep. England. Yep. This is it. Like you, you, and it's. I think Stuart Horse talks about it. Like he, you become a West Indian when you get to Britain. In the Caribbean, you weren't West Indian. You were just from Kingston, yep. or you were from Saint Anne's, yep. or you were from wherever else. Yeah, you know. So, and that kind of all builds into stuff like identity, and then how we see ourselves versus this how the it. world and society are seeing us. This is it. This is it. It yeah. also makes me think very much about this idea of blackness, and like mm. going on about it. Um, so I went to the States in the summer for a wedding. Nice. It was really lovely. But I was so aware of the, um, I can only really call it irony of me, a Ghanaian descendant who lives in London, traveling to America. I was just like, oh my gosh, this, there's a book here somewhere, surely. But what I find interesting <laughs> is <laughs> this idea of blackness. Yeah. What does that actually mean? Because we've created yeah. it, we've created it because we need to. But outside of the West, this idea of blackness doesn't exist. No, doesn't And so this, this sense of identity is so, mm, it's not tangible. It's not, it's, it, it, it shifts so completely depending on where you are. And it's so interesting that I am of Ghanaian descent, but if I go to Ghana, I'm a foreigner. I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, like it, it's just. That's a whole nother kettle. It's actually the thing. Like it, it's, I'm and an English girl in Jamaica. <laughs> and it's like, okay, but like, if we just take a minute yeah. to stop doing the lazy thing and actually re-dissect things, you just mm. open up such a beautiful tapestry, such a rich yep. tapestry of of so much identity and being. Yep. Um, and also I find that then, in a way, in many ways, it's quite liberating. Like, if we... we we give ourselves titles and we fall into categories because we come together and we unify mm. but when those categories and things change based on where you are it gives you an opportunity to explore who else you can be without that like what else could I be what else it's just a, a different way of perceiving self and I'm always yeah. advocating for that what happens if we see ourselves a different way what happens if we connect to different things what happens if we just perceive it in a different way absolutely um, yeah Definitely. And I think it will be, I think, I hope anyway, it will be kind of our generation to have those, not necessarily just to have the conversations, but to actually do the work, to really think those things through. I'm more optimistic than I am, because well. I don't have our generation, I just think, oh, <laughs> you know what? I think we've done a lot of great things, but I think we yep. still have such a long way to go. And I worry sometimes that we spend so much time obsessing over identity politics that it right. means that does it dilute the message no it doesn't dilute the message but I just worry that we don't put as much energy in other places mm. and what I worry most about is I think I think we do a lot of advocacy work we do a lot of work to make sure that laws and things um, do the work that they need to do, protecting yeah. them what they need to protect. What concerns me is to what extent are we getting into people's hearts and minds? And I think that's where the real change comes in. Yeah. Um, I just, I'd love, to, I'd love, I. every now and then, every few years, something happens and it just makes me think, you know, we've been calling out for X, Y, Z for so long. Yeah. How are we still at this point? Mm. And also, as long as humans have been on the earth, you mean to tell me we're still working on things? There's always been people of colour on this earth. There's always yeah. been women on this earth. There's always been... So why are we... 
it feels yeah. primitive sometimes. I'm just like, how no, are you still here? You know? Yeah. Um, and you get, I think you get that sense even more if you speak to elders. Because it's like they, they did the same battle. And you're yeah, like, it's a different world. It's like, and how can we be saying the same things as those who came before us? You know, it's mm-hmm. a lot of work has been done and I'm not knocking that, but I just, I, I, we have a long way to go. Yeah. And that's scary. It is, but I do feel like that kind of impatience we have with the slow change. I mm. hope it drives us that kind of impatience. I think we have mm. less patience than our um our grandparents and our parents mm, to tolerate certain things. And I hope that drives us. Yeah. Keeps keeps pushing us. Because yeah. we are moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just pick up the pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yes. That's it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, or finish off these quick fires that aren't really actually that quick (laughs) because require a lot of thought and explanation. Um, but what book would you recommend that everybody reads at least once in their life? I've been seeing a tweet just before you answer, I've been seeing a tweet going around of saying, like, what radicalized you? Um, I think it's in the context of what's happening in Palestine, but also just generally. And I've been thinking a lot about it for me. And I've been trying to think, is it a book? Is it a moment? Is it something I've been yeah, through? Yeah. But maybe they can tie together, you know, like, yeah. is there something you've read that kind of shifted your mindset so much? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. everybody also should. Have and I'm still that. reading it. And it's going to be a cliche one, but it's all about love by Bell Hooks. Um, yeah. Because, because I think we think about love and we think about it in a familial setting we think about it in terms of friendships what does it mean when we talk about love in the capacity of politics what does it mean when we talk about love in the capacity of work what does it mean when we really insert love in every single part of our lives um and what's interesting there's a lot of like spiritual growth and changes that's happening within me I grew up very much with the church um and so I grew up with like Christian rhetoric and embedded in that is love Um, regardless of how sometimes people may act embedded in that is love so then taking this principle of of love and applying it in absolutely every single element of our lives and thinking about how it reflects is it's just been such a beautiful thing and so when we are having conversations about specific things that are happening in the world it no longer becomes about this person and that person this group of people and that group of people Mm -hmm. but really stepping forward in love and consideration and I think we we allow these fake things to divide us yep and cause all these issues but if we were all to just stop and step and walk in love mm-hmm. what does that look like across the board outside of the family home yeah. um yeah and so i i think that has i've been sort of mulling on that a lot more as the things were going on in the news are going on and as I think for a long time I thought about those things as separate. You know, there's like, mm. what does it look like when, yeah, our gov- what ha- what does it look like if our governments are governed by love? That is the priority. I just, yeah. and it sounds so simple and so obvious. That's what the beauty of that book is. Oh, yeah. it seems so simple. Um, but it isn't. It, <laughs> as we can see. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely. I've not, I've not read it through, I will say. Um, yes. I've read, I've always read that book in extracts. I read it in, mm-hmm. I think I did a feminism module 
Mm-hmm. Um, yes. in English yep. and I, yep. I think yep. I read it there and I cited it a lot I cited different parts yep. of it but also some of other bell hooks of some other of bell hooks's work yeah. more so than this yeah um, in conversation with you know the Audrey Lords and yeah, the yeah, yeah, women yeah. that have written about these things but um huh I don't you know mm. see it's a hard question you asked me yeah no you're, you're really <laughs> right I'm literally looking at my bookshelf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do that all the time too. As I speak. And oh, I'm going to say, I've got two books in mind, basically. Mm. No, I've got three now. (laughs) Black Skin, White Masks. Yeah. Is in an academic-y kind of setting the first time I realised that the experiences I had as a black person had been theorised. Yeah. And that was quite powerful to me because I hadn't ever seen myself in that, in a theory sense. I Mm -hmm. I went to an all girls school. We did a lot of feminist readings of things. Mm -hmm. Even at a younger age, we looked at a lot of feminist theory. We always looked at women. I understand. I understood what it meant to be a woman, Mm -hmm. to be in a marginalized group in that sense. Mm -hmm. But nobody ever really kind of told me that in the kind of black. Yeah. And then when you start reading it as a black woman, hmm? Was it in uni that you first Yeah, came? it was first year, yeah, that yeah, English yeah, in practice yeah. or... Yes. No, reading theory and interpretation. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, yes. Such a good, oh. But I say that to say, like, it's the same for me, yeah. but it's such a shame that we have to get to the point of uni before we can yeah. discover ourselves in that way. And when, doing an English degree, which doesn't serve everyone, you know? Exactly Not everyone is going to get exactly there. That's the point. But yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So that... And then I would also, I'm looking at it, Maya Angelou, I know why the cage bird sings. Mm. Um, I think I did that for my A-level coursework. Um, and it's kind of, I think with coursework, you're you're kind of on your own. No one else is doing that book. You're not going through it as a class. You're reading it and you're going to write about it. Um, and I feel like I went on a journey with Maya Angelou mm. in a historical sense, mm-hmm. um, in understanding black girlhood and black womanhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, yeah, so that text... Um, but also I think it dealt with pain in a really interesting way. Absolutely. Um, in not in a way that I'd kind of ever read before. Um, mm-hmm. and kind of knowing Maya Angelou as a poet, as a writer, as a figure within she was alive at the time as well. Mm-hmm. And kind of knowing her as a person that's just mm-hmm. about, shall we say, um yeah. esteemed but still very much within reach of society. She's yeah. there at yeah. Obama's inauguration. Do you know what yeah. I mean? She's part of the fabric of society. Absolutely. And then Absolutely. reading this work and this pain and then kind of seeing the present version of her, you know, still alive, still fighting, yeah. still going, still breathing, still yeah. loving. Yeah. That was really That's powerful for me. For that book is, is she talks about pain, but mm-hmm. she talks about pain almost from a point of healing or healing. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't Absolutely. seen that before until I read that book. Yeah. And that, that was quite stunning to me because mm-hmm. you... You can read something and know when someone's still in that healing process and when they have been yeah. able to release it. And she's very much released there. Absolutely. That's an incredible amount of pain to have released, you know? Um, yep. Which just gives hope. It gives hope that we can, we are not defined by our pain, but also we can heal from it in a really gorgeous way. Definitely. Mm. Um, I've really not answered that question properly because I've given you two and I want to say it's Capitalism and Slavery by Eric Williams. On a historical mm. level, yeah, it's yeah, basically yeah. the book where he breaks down the fact that slavery didn't end in the British colonies for mm-hmm. um, moral reasons or economic. And whilst a lot of the points in his argument kind of don't necessarily stand, 
today following mm-hmm. further writing and research um, from a lot of scholars in the field his argument to me was so important and when mm-hmm. I read that I really needed to hear that at that time it completely shifted the way I saw history yeah. written by white people um, to glorify and to uphold white supremacy when dealing with what was happening in the Caribbean what was mm-hmm. happening in parts of Africa and in Asia mm-hmm. and in terms of empire and colonization so yeah mm-hmm. I've done an episode on that book before yeah um and I will talk about it all the time I think people that listen to this podcast are sick of me um but yeah I just but this is the power of books and this is why you're here Amma because there's no real better person to talk about all these um books really than you yeah um and it it leads quite beautifully on look at me segueing um in publishing who'd have thought thought. um Mm-hmm. So, you know, with an English degree, as we all know, you can kind of do anything. Yeah. Um, it always astounds me, like, what people ended up doing from the English degree, what they've gone mm-hmm. into, like, the range of things that run off. So just because of the, like, the work that you do in English, yeah. people think it's just reading novels and poetry and, like, analysing sentences. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So much. So much more. Um, and you've decided to, you went into publishing. Was that always a plan? Um, Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So there was a lot of contention about me going to university. Um, okay. I'm a very um, conservative, shall we say, Christian background. I'm not going to name where. Um, <laughs> but there was very much this idea that a degree will not serve you. Okay. Um, because the system is not going to be on for long enough for you to need one. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of people in my church just being like, oh my gosh, you shouldn't go. I had an uncle um, who was like, okay, um, that's not scripturally accurate, but also, <laughs> like, why would you not go? So I was like, okay, here's what I'm going to I decided to take a gap year um, and I did a lot of volunteer work in my gap year and I worked mm. as well. And I just needed the time to make that decision my own self. I already applied for uni, um, but I just applied for it with a a gap year in mind but my teachers found this out they were livid but I was yeah. like I just I need the time yeah. um and I came to the end of the year and I was like okay let's go to uni because I want to be a teacher nice. and then my uncle the same uncle that was side-eyeing me was like okay so yeah you want to you want to be a teacher that's great why don't you do something like English first or do something that's sort of broader first yeah. um and then you can specialize afterwards and then you, you know you've got options um mm. And there was a lot of contention about this within the family as well. Um, my dad, on the other hand, was very much like, do whatever brings you joy. Like, nice. He's very traditional in some sense and very yeah. untraditional in a lot of other sense. In a sense that count, he's very untraditional. Yeah. And he was just like, you just need to be happy. You need to be able to support yourself. Do what's going to help you to do that. Nice. Um, so I applied for uni at Queen Mary. The two that I wanted to go into was either Queen Mary or there was an art and English course at Reading. I went to Reading and I'm like, oh my God, it's very white. I cannot be inspired here. So hence, I ended up at Queen Mary. But I had, by the time I graduated, I'd been working in education for about five or so years. And I just didn't want to go down that route. Um, I always went to teach in a secondary school and I was like, I just, I don't want to do this anymore I've done a lot of in education not quite as a teacher but in education the system is far too broken I can't do that um <laughs> and then I didn't quite know where I would end up yeah after uni I was freelancing as a writer as well um both for 
the digitals who worked with Shudi, but also for a magazine called Glam Africa. And I'd gotten to a point at the end of 20 or mid 2019 where I was like, okay, I need something different. I need something that's going to fuel me creatively in a different way. I didn't know what that looks like, but I kind of wanted to do that. And I came across um, a couple of roles. There was an editor position at Osborne, which is a children's publisher. And I applied for it and I got through to the second round of interviews, which I say because I had no experience. And so to be able to even get that far, now that I know more about publishing, yeah. so I've gone that far, it was like, oh, that's there's something there. But what I loved about it is that I had an opportunity to get my like art stuff out. I had nice. to do a brief for, um, a, brief for a, a, a book, a uh, book. For children's, it was it was like it was like a myth from Scotland. It's like, okay, okay, what would you how would you make this look? What would you do to it? Yeah. What commission for the illustrator. Well, I got my little pens out, <laughs> I got my little art set, out, I got my paints, I got everything out, and I just felt like I was really doing something creative in nice. that. Way. Yeah. And that made me think, aha, yes, publishing, but children's publishing specifically. Mm. Um, and then from there I went to Faber as an intern, and I've then worked my way up to assistant editor. Um so I, I talk about my career as a bit of a portfolio career. Um, mm. I'm one of those people that's very much governed by how something feels. I know that doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. Um, but I can feel when something is no longer for me and no longer serving me. And I think it's very easy to feel that we have to stick things out. Yeah. I'm also one of those people that I need to enjoy what I do. Mm-hmm. Some people can compartmentalise and they can <laughs> you know, have a nine to five that they don't enjoy, but really find other ways of enjoyment and fulfilment. And that's yep. brilliant. I'm not one of those people. Um, I grew up in a very uh, working class home yeah. slash a little bit before, below the poverty line. And so the idea of just sort of changing a job when it no longer serves you is ludicrous. It's like, what do you mean? You're just leaving and like, what, 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 how? Yeah. Um, but I do think it takes a lot of courage. Yeah. I think if I... Or to go back in time, I probably would have said to myself, you know, keep, keep, keep working. Mm. I would apply for other things, but I just think life is too short. We spend so much of our time at work. Yeah, not do what you enjoy. Absolutely, and not do what fuels you. And also, I think how the education system is set up, especially in secondary school, you're made to sort of choose one path for the whole rest of your life. But we're forever growing and changing and evolving. Yeah, so what we go into uni wanting to do will change at the other end of the line and that's okay yeah change as many times as we need to change there's no we don't have to do one thing our whole lives I Um, agree absolutely yeah Yeah. no it's beautiful and I think it it speaks to the fact that you have managed to kind of bring in I guess English is it's a it's an academic degree of course but it also has so much creativity in it and you said your kind of artistry and your creative practices Mm -hmm all into this kind of one realm of publishing and children's publishing um and it is it is wonderful that you have been able to do that and kind of bring those kind of worlds together Mm. um I wondered what are the kind of challenges maybe as a question yeah um I know that you or we've spoken about in the past kind of increasing the representation Mm. of um texts that have black protagonists Mm. or Mm. you know so children that look like you and me can see themselves in a book or for black authors and that kind of thing um I guess are there challenges related to that and how has kind of maybe that popped up or cropped up in your work um I think about being in-house um I am or when I started I was one of one of two black women 
Um, that has since changed. Mm. Um, but I remember when I when I got this role, uh, one of my colleagues said, you know, you're the first. Mm, not this role. So when I got hired full time, I was told you're one. Of, you are probably one of the first, if not the first, um, black person to be on the editorial team at Faber. That's insane. <laughs> Faber's not a new company, right? Um, I, yeah, yeah. And we haven't fact checked it. So I like to say you know yeah. first, but it 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 it's, it's like. It's it's a privilege, but also it brings such visibility, um, mm. good and bad, good and bad. And I, I often think I am a black woman, but I'm also not just a black woman. Yeah. And so that sh- should not dictate my taste. A black queer woman, you know, mm. there's, there's so much, there's so much in terms of the publishing industry that needs changing and shifting when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, and I think what I'm I'm grateful for is that I'm I'm in a team of of women who really get that and who understand that and who will champion for me and champion for those like me without me having to tell them to do that. They just do it naturally almost. Or not naturally, they had to do a lot of work on themselves to get to that point. But that for me is very refreshing. Um I think Something that's been interesting is when I first started in 2020 in publishing, I think there was a lot of pressure on black writers, in particular writers of colour, to write about issues and to write about struggles and to mm. write from a very specific perspective. Right. Um, we run the Fab Prize every year, which is a sort of open call to writers and illustrators who aren't um, published. Yeah. And so seeing the amount of work we got when I first started Mm. the way the work is now almost every submission now that we read is fantastical or it's magical or it's not focusing solely on struggle and that to me is a huge like testament to how far the industry's come in the last three years nice I think I think a lot of writers come feeling that they have to sort of talk about all of the things or or discuss all of the things, specifically if they are from a marginalised community. Yeah. And that's not the case. Um, that's good. I often get a lot of questions about, do I need to write something, you know, that will sell? Do I need to... Uh, I keep saying the industry will catch up with you. Write what mm. is in your heart to write. Because yeah. at the end of the day, the person you need to connect with is, is an individual person. Yep. That person will champion you as long as you need them to. Mm. But write what comes from you because if it comes from your heart it's going to connect someone else's heart absolutely um, look that's the way we've spoken about all the books we've spoken yeah, about today absolutely that's you know that. they've written and and this is the thing with, with books as well even if i know we live in a capitalist society and things have to sell but if the book comes out like, like eric williams capitalism and slavery when it mm-hmm. initially came out it had a run they stopped it it didn't get published for ages yeah. it literally got republished in 2020 because we realized at that moment we needed that book again and yeah. the world needed that book again That's in that in that mass printing format yeah. Yeah. you know unfortunately i think maybe we're looking at a time of instant gratification capitalism all these things where but you are so right in saying and i don't really necessarily ever think about writing creatively like in the way that you're connecting with writers and illustrators but actually it is true like you have to write what 
is true to you and yeah. I think I'm beginning to appreciate that in an academic sense for myself yeah. as well yeah. even though I'm not necessarily doing something creative I have to write something and I have to do research on something that I connect with because mm-hmm. I'm the only one that can then tell that story that or exactly, write that history exactly yeah yeah that's a really important point and yeah. I think I'm happy to hear that publishing is making some steps it is it is it is it's trying and I think in the last few years as well especially the last few years it has really accelerated that yeah um, not just in terms of the books that go out there but the people behind the books mm. um I was surprised when I first came into publishing because yeah. I kind of, you know I knew of publishing and I kind of went in a little bit blind and I didn't do any research and I didn't you know I just wanted to see let's just see what happens yeah um which I'm really grateful for because I think also when you go in with too much stuff sometimes you kind of talk yourself out of it or you kind of see things that makes you question things yeah um so I kind of went in blind but thinking oh my gosh it must be so diverse look at all the books (laughs) on the shelves no (laughs) absolutely not that was the bigger shock and as I started in 2020 yeah very soon everything you know George Floyd was murdered and the whole industry was like quivering in their boots (laughs) I was having conversations for the fab prize and for the fab website having conversations with people of color from different parts of publishing mm. from you know editorial like literally across the board and hearing their experiences I was like oh we have got a lot of work to do um yeah. I think now when you look at those in-house there is a lot more representation there's still mm. not enough we're still very much a minority but there is a lot more representation there's a lot more awareness of what needs to be done yeah um what do you think, if anything, or if you had to, you know, call out publishing mm-hmm. more broadly for their next, I don't know, five year, 10 year plan? What are the yeah. things they need to do next? Or, or how do how does the ball keep rolling within your industry? Um, I think we need to keep questioning things. I think yeah. we need to keep questioning how things are done and why they're done that way and change yes. them where needed. Yeah. Um, publishing is a very old industry and there's a lot of sort of heritage um, and I think across the board, people are very much questioning what can we do differently and how can we do it differently? How can we? And I think that needs to be an ongoing conversation. We can't do things as we've always done them. Yeah. Um, I think all of us have bias. We all have bias and we all need to check those biases when we are doing the work we're doing. Um, and again, that's it's not just in terms of editorial, but really across the board. Um and also keep keep looking and keep reading, keep reading things that are outside of your own experience. Yeah. Because I think that's the only way we can garner any form of understanding. Um, I was gonna say sympathy and empathy, and I think those are very important, but more so than that, we need to come to a point of understanding. Absolutely. And I think without that work being done, I think something I've really realized in the last couple of years is we are all very much at the same table, but we've had to We've, we've had to get here in very different ways mm. and we can't disregard the path that has led us here. Mm-hmm. And because of that, the way I work and the way you work won't be the same. We, we, we can't work in that way. Yeah. Um, so let's work to each other's strengths. And again, mm-hmm. I think my team are really supportive of this. I'm also, sometimes I just think, am I just trying to tick off all of the points of diversity I can? <laughs> I'm also very neurodivergent. So <laughs> I think how that impacts my work and actually thinking you know as a whole team we've had to consider how do we then work to all of our collective strengths nice um and how do we each make sure that we have the support that we need and it's it's 
it's that kind of work that needs to keep being done. It's so easy to say, okay, here are the big things that we want to do, but really on a day-to-day basis, how are we making sure those big things happen? Yeah, mm. absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Thank you yeah. for that. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you so much for that, Emma. Um, it is it is really important, I think, the work you're doing, well, I know, in within publishing. And I think I speak about a lot on this podcast, the fact that we're all working we all have to work in society in our own respective fields. There's no point in me who does history going to tell the police how to do their job. Although I probably could do a better job than someone at the moment, just saying. <laughs> just saying. I don't know that. <laughs> but like every, if everybody chips away to yeah. make society a little bit better, to move, as you said, with love, the yeah. love that Bell Hooks is speaking about yeah. in, in wider society, whether that be in politics and education, in publishing and history, mm. that is how... I think we shape and carve out a society that makes Absolutely. best sense for the majority of the people in it is more equitable, is more loving, is more mm-hmm. compassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I hope if you're listening today, you kind of carry that with you, mm-hmm. you know, carry the sentiments of of that with you in your own mm-hmm. work, whether that's in your family, it doesn't even have to be in a place of work, in your friend group. Community, like, yeah. In just your community, in your church. Mm-hmm especially in your church (laughs) they need it (laughs) (laughs) absolutely um I wondered if you wanted to share anything you have coming up anything future projects we should probably plug the Queen Mary Alumni Angles podcast yes that is available on Spotify it's two years old but if you wanted to hear our thoughts it was a really good episode though I'm sorry not to toot my own horn I wish we We said some things it's also on YouTube um so you can watch it and just see us vibing doing our thing um i'll put the link in the show notes but yeah if you have anything else or if you yes. want to let us know your social um, medias and yes yes can I'm, find you yeah i am at noir.renaissance and everything um mm, that might not be true i might be at noir.renaissance on instagram and noir renaissance on twitter or x um i'll put it in the show notes if you're not so i'll be able to find <laughs> you anyway um and i will also say you know if you are a, a aspiring writer or illustrator mm. um do check out the fab prize um for children specifically i think that's a really great opportunity to get your work seen by agents um i've been working a lot on studio at the moment and just sort of going through her narrative so there's a lot of like fiction writing that's going on on my instagram at the moment which is quite fun to do nice. um and just keep yeah keep creating keep doing keep expressing yourself however that looks to you I think is really important to do that brilliant thank mm. you so much for being here for this episode today uh, if you're listening and yeah you want to know more about Amma and the work that she's doing check her out on socials um Instagram and X as well uh, and her work just more broadly just mm. give her a cool and you'll you'll see um but thank you so much Amma honestly it's thank such you. a pleasure to be sat down here talking with you brilliant thank you thank you, oh, thank you. <laughs> listening to the history hotline if you've enjoyed this episode please tell a friend to tell a friend to continue the conversation about black history head over to our social media platforms at the history hotline on instagram and at the history hl on twitter